Before we get started with today's show, I wanted to tell you about another great podcast. Brian Winhurst and the Hoop Collective is a podcast where Brian Winhurst and a team of ESPN insiders sort out life in and around the NBA world. Now three times a week and also available on YouTube. Listen where you are listening to this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. Coming up on this episode of The Right Time, we're going to talk about the scene at the Barclays Center and where I got to give Kyrie a lot of credit. Also, we have got your voicemails and we say farewell to our man Gabe. But first... All right, um, remember last week when I was all here trying to explain to people why it was that the Vikings would never get any credit from us? And the answer was very simple. As long as Kirk Cousins was your quarterback, this was not going to happen. Um, I had somebody on Twitter say something to me um, during the game and be like, yo, I came to see this because, you know, how much you hate Kirk Cousins. I ain't got no reason to hate Kirk Cousins. I don't hate Kirk Cousins. Pointing out that Kirk Cousins is mediocre, that's like saying I hate the sun because I say the damn thing is hot. It's just what it is, man. I don't make the rules. But I watched that Vikings-Cowboys game. Well, actually, no. I didn't watch it because I couldn't watch the whole thing. You know why I couldn't watch the whole thing? Because the network looked up and said, yo, midway through the third quarter, let's take you guys to Bengals-Steelers. Because this is such a beat them down that there's no way that you want to watch this. Now, you got to understand, and I was wondering if they thought about this up at the home office, and I don't think they did. I couldn't even go on the Sunday ticket to watch the rest of that game if I wanted to. Right? Think about that. You're watching this one game. They take it off. I go to watch the other games. The other games are on. They ain't want nobody to watch the rest of that beat down. And I know why they didn't want nobody else to watch that. Because they got rules about obscenity on television. Like, that, that, that ass whooping was profane. You can't, like, th- there's, there's decency problems with putting somebody on TV just getting their ass whooped like that. Like, it didn't make you feel a little uncomfortable. You never grabbed your ribs at any point. It was like, damn, it feel like they hit me too. That's how bad they was beating them boys in that game. And just play in the first quarter. Kirk Cousins get the ball. He's rolling right. Micah Parsons. It, you know, you can hear the Jaws music, right? Dun up. Dun up. He's coming up behind him. And you see Kirk Cousins. He over there like, wow, what did I have for lunch yesterday? Right? I don't know what in the world he had on his mind. And I said on Twitter, I was like, hey, man, only person who ain't see that fumble coming was number eight. Because all of us, all of us saw that dude coming up behind him. We were like, man, ain't no way Kirk Cousins going to hold on to the ball. None. And of course, he did not. Uh, speaking of Michael Parsons, by the way, I was texting with my, uh, Ryan Clark because I seen him talking on television about uh, how he had talked to Michael Parsons and he's trying to be more cerebral about his game, right? Like, look at the angles that the linemen are at and the way their shoulders are turning. And Ryan was making the point, man, just go out there and do it. And Michael Parsons is a see ball, get ball dude. 
That's not a judgment, right? I'm not saying that he is incapable of doing all this reading of things, but I'm just going to ask you this one time. Do you think Bill Belichick ever once in his life told Lawrence Taylor, hey, look at how that guy's weight is shifted before you go? No, no, that was unnecessary. Like, some people don't have to do that stuff. Some people can just go out there and destroy people. Micah Parsons is... You can just go out there and destroy people. Like one of the criticisms that there was of him coming out of Penn State was that he was just kind of seek and destroy, right? And a question as to whether or not he could be seek and destroy guy in the NFL. I'll give you an example. Texas had a linebacker back in the day named Derek Johnson, who was a great seek and destroy guy and would run around blocks. But he wasn't so talented that he could be that guy in the NFL and be anything like he was the guy in college, right? Michael Parsons is a different animal. And Derrick Johnson, like one of the two best linebackers in the history of Texas football. Michael Parsons is a different animal. He could still do that in the NBA. That dude, I mean, NFL. That dude ain't never been a pass rusher. And they were like, hey, how'd you like to rush the passer? Boom. He winds up being that dude. Anyway, back to the Vikings. I don't know what it is about Kirk Cousins once you say, hey, a lot of people are going to be watching this game on television. We're going to have you in a primetime slot. I think that part of what happens with Kirk Cousins when he's in primetime, particularly for his time when he was in Washington, which was um, you were pretty much guaranteed that if Washington was playing primetime football, the other team was better because nobody wants to watch them. Yes, their city may have a lot of people, but nobody actually wants to watch them. It's kind of like how Notre Dame has that bad record in bowl games because Notre Dame always gets in a bowl game that's higher than their weight class is. Therefore, they're playing against a team that's better than them. And so the chances of them winning just aren't going to be high because their profile's so high and it gets in places that they shouldn't be. Whenever Cousins is in these games, I feel like it ain't never a time where you're like, oh, Kirk's team's going to win this one. Ever. Ever. I know people tried to talk themselves into this one shout out to you Dak Prescott because if you had got outplayed by Kirk Cousins buddy it was gonna be a tough road for you that did not happen not that he played especially well the numbers look better than Dak did in that game but anyway I think the final score was 40 to 3 and for you Vikings fans and you wonder why it is that we don't respect you you are now 8 and 2 and the teams that you have played against have scored more points than you have Like, that's where we are. And we're at that point in the season where teams have racked up enough games that point differential means something. And what that is telling us is the Vikings are a really average team, right? They got players that are better than average. And they got Kirk Cousins, the walking epitome of averageness when it comes to playing quarterback. Sorry, guys. You're going to win your division. You're going to get a home game. You might even get to, depending upon how the whole thing plays out. I don't want to act like y'all are the Houston Texans or anything like that. You're just the Minnesota Vikings. We see it. You know it. You knew your quarterback was boo-boo going into that game. But and, and, and I want to make this point right fast about Kirk Cousins. I almost forgot this, but I'm not going to forget it. This is the most interesting thing about how we create narratives around football and how we let wins fool us, right? Like, you think about this. A team can go 0-7, right? Lose every game by one point. And look, they're an 0-7 team. That's just what it is. If a team goes 7-0 and and they win all those games by one point, in my mind, that is not a 7-0 and team. I mean, they're 7-0, and obviously. It says it on the sheet. 
but you're not looking at them like, oh man, I wonder if the 72 Dolphins are a little bit worried, right? Like that's not, that's not really how that game is going to go when a team plays like that. And so with the Vikings, they were in that awkward place where you look at it like, well, if there were seven losses, you call them seven losses. Why can't we call it seven wins? Because once we start talking about seven wins, we're talking about them in a different way. We're talking about them in the context of the playoffs, right? And once you start talking about them like that, how you win does matter because you're going to be facing up down the line against teams that are actually good. And the Vikings are in that place. Y'all find a way to win and it makes you feel good. But hey, man, that's, 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 that, that's foul money when those sorts of things happen. Y'all were playing close games against bums, right? All of that was foul money. Now they're in this place where, I mean, given the division that they're in and the games they have left, they're going to have a really impressive record. It's not out of the realm of possibility that they'll have the best record in the NFL. And they'll be out there playing Kirk Cousins in games that matter. And you can't even really feel comfortable with Kirk Cousins in games that start at 420. And not because he smoked weed. At least then there'd be some fun to it, you know? But anyway, uh, moving on. We got my man Dan here. And Dan, you're a Jets fan, correct? You're not a Jets fan? Nah, Giants, bro. Oh, oh. <laughs> they lost to the Lions. <laughs> Sorry, just had to got had to throw that. Felt out like there. you were talking about him earlier yes. when you're mentioning all these these teams <laughs> that win by close margins. I, I felt very seen there. Yeah, like I feel like with the Giants though that it's been what it's been for the last few years that you just got to be happy with what it is, right? Like they look capable. They look like a credible NFL team. Um, the quarterback does not look abject anymore, right? And you guys are so happy about that. Him just simply being competent does the job. Which, man, it's always tough when your team gets to that place. But hey. There you are. But the Jets and the Patriots. I was watching that game. Um, and man, all right, let me be honest. I watched the first quarter and a half, maybe quarter and three quarters. And then I woke back up for like the fourth quarter because it was not really um, an exciting contest. It was 3-3 at the end. And then the Patriots got a punt return at the end and took it all the way to the house, which has to be an incredibly demoralizing way to lose. But the Jets have a quarterback problem, okay? Problem. Year two, you're supposed to start seeing some signs, right? Like, year two, you're supposed to get a game or two where you're like, oh, man, that's the guy that we thought that we were getting. I don't know if I've seen any such game from Zach Wilson in his time with the Jets. And he was something worse than terrible, in this game against the Patriots, he was terrible, and then he refused to be accountable. And that, who, who, boy, 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 that young man, I hope somebody take him to the side. If you didn't see this, but they asked him in the press conference um, if the offense let the defense down, a game in which the defense gave up three points, and his answer was no, and nah, 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 nah. That's the, that's the, that's the wrong answer. Uh, the, 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 the answer that may have accomplished the goals that he was looking for was, I just think we all need to play better. Right? Like, if you don't want to make it all about yourself, right? You want to feel like they're other bums? We all need to play better. That was the way to go. No. That, that, was, not, that, was, that was not the recommended answer. And that ain't going to work in this city. Right? Because one thing that this city absolutely requires of its athletes is that you own it. Right. If, if you are coming up short, 
New York demands that you own it. They ain't necessarily going to love you for owning it, but they demand that you love it, that you face up to what's coming and that you own it. And let me tell you who else would really like it if you would just own it. The guys on your team, particularly the ones that only gave up three points. They would like for you to own it. They would like for you to be the person in front of the people and say, yeah, man, not my best work. That's all me. I own that. That is what this is going to take of that dude if he's going to be that quarterback. And now the Jets are in a situation. I think I may have talked about this before, but um, they're a quarterback away, right? From like for real legitimate contention, they are a quarterback away. They have taken two quarterbacks in the first round of the last five drafts in the top three of the last five drafts. And they're still a quarterback away. What are you supposed to do, right? Because now they're too good to be like near the top of the draft to be able to get one of the guys that people are excited about. They can't pull that off. They don't really have that option in going to get the quarterback. The guy they have just seems to be able to throw really pretty passes. Okay. But look around the league. Who's there for you to get? Is there some other quarterback that's just around there? I don't see it. Maybe you try to find a way to hope, cross your fingers, that there's something left from Aaron Rodgers and maybe you can get him at the end of the year, depending upon how things are going to shake out in Green Bay. But if you look around the NFL this year, what's been wild about this, and I was talking to my man uh, Charlie Kravitz, uh, who produces the Dominique Foxborough Show and Debatable, and he made a very interesting point that I had not thought about with the NFL. You remember when we started the year? He didn't make this part of the point, but I'm making it now. Do you remember the start of the year when we were talking all this about Lamar Jackson and his contract and every game was a referendum on whether he was earning money or he was losing money or maybe the Ravens could go out there and get somebody better? And you could even remember at the beginning of the year when we were talking about how this really was a golden age of quarterbacks that was emerging and it appeared to be, right? But all right, top of the league. We know who the two best quarterbacks are in the league. At least most of us have the same guys at one and two. Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, right? This is one and two. Then you got the guys, the young up-and-comer types, right, that are still showing and, like, out here balling. Justin Herbert, who's played much of this year with that rib injury, so I cut him a lot of slack on a lot of things. But, whoo, boy, he blows my mind sometimes when I watch him. Tua legitimately playing um, of the caliber of an MVP. Like, I mean, I think it's fair to say that that's the level that he is playing on. Uh, Joe Burrow has not been great this year, but I think still looking pretty good. Like, if you were to ask me about him, I'd say he's still looking pretty good. Okay, now do the rest of the league. The rest of the whole league. Like, there is that interesting guy, Ryan Tannehill, who somehow has been aight for 11 straight years. Right? Sometimes the circumstances around him change a little bit or whatever it is. But he has been steadily aight. You know? Like, he's at that level where you understood why the Dolphins got rid of him. And then you understood why the Titans keep him. Though he's basically played the same for both. More or less. Right? Just a steady level of 
right. But look at everybody else. And I'm just going through the map in my head, right, as I try to go through it. So if I miss anybody, I miss them. Matt Stafford falling off. Like, honestly, looking like a dude that might want to retire at the end of the year and that terrible offensive line can't even keep him healthy. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, LOL, what he is. He's just, you know, he's just kind of what he is. My bad, Geno Smith. Forgot about you, buddy. Like, when we start talking about Geno Smith playing like a top five quarterback, it's not that crazy. Uh, Dak Prescott hadn't really brought it this year. Russell Wilson, I don't even want to talk about that dude no more. Davis Mills, I mean, come on, man. You know what time it is. Kirk Cousins, see what I said about Davis Mills. Um, who else are we looking at here? I mean, Jacoby Brissett doesn't even count, right? He's just keeping the seat warm until, you know, that one guy comes back and it gets all weird and awkward for us. Yeah, we got that. Uh, Matt Ryan got a little better, but he looks cooked. Okay. Uh, Marcus Mariota looking cooked. Tom Brady, not what he was. Trevor Lawrence. I mean, it doesn't feel right to call somebody a disappointment when I've never met them, but, you know, here we are. Uh, whatever the hell's going on with Carolina. Carson Wentz, you know, lost your job three times in three years in three places. And Tyler Heineke out here getting everybody in trouble drinking on video. Okay. Oh, yeah, Jalen Hurts. I forgot about him, right? There's been an emergence that's come from him. But even, like, the guys that I'm leaving out here, so many guys have disappointed this year. Like, so many guys have felt like they have fallen off. And so if you're the Jets, what are you going to do? You got this guy, right, who seems to be a terrible combination of not that good a player and not a dude that people going to rally around. That's who you got. After you finally got everything else figured out. Damn. Oh, by the way, Kyler Murray, another regressor. Um, Matt Corkle-Jones. I mean, I don't know if it's regression if I never thought you would act good in the first place. Jerry Goff just up there hiding out. Just hiding out. Dan, did you see Jerry Goff play this weekend by chance? Is there any, any chance that you witnessed him play professional football? Let's not talk about that game, bro. <laughs> Look, man, I'm just glad the New York teams are relevant again, right? And I'm glad I got a Giants fan in my midst, at least for a little while again. Because uh, when I used to have Shannon, I caught Shannon for the darkest years of the Giants. Man, that made my radio shows much more fun and a little more cruel. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training. Just in time for summer and warmer days. I've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so I can break these skinny allegations I keep getting. Spring is the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering off. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals while challenging yourself at every level. Now you can catch up on your favorite NBA games with NBA League Pass while you push yourself to new levels of fitness. Watch your favorite games and win your workouts with NBA League Pass on Peloton and visit OnePeloton.com. Peloton all-access membership and NBA League Pass subscription required. Well, much to my surprise, Kyrie Irving back in the NBA. 
I did not think that Kyrie would play another basketball game in the NBA. I had a lot of people who came up. Yeah, what you got to say now? You said Kyrie wasn't going to play no more. What you got to say? That he's playing? Like, it's pretty obvious. I can see what happened. And you know what I'll say about Kyrie playing again? He exceeded my expectations. Like, there's a measure of credit that I do think that he deserves, even if he put himself in the position that he ultimately wound up in. I ain't think he was going to play again because I ain't think his pride was going to allow him to back down, right? He believed that he was right. And as I have said before, he places far too much emphasis on the importance of whether or not he is right, right? But I did not think that he would apologize in the ways that he has apologized. And I thought that the words he used were very important. And I thought that him talking about how, hey, man, I came out here and I was defensive because he called me an anti-Semite. And look, he almost lost it, right? He's just like, you know, well, I know I'm not an anti-Semite, so anybody would be defensive under these circumstances. Like, there were a couple of moments where you could feel that pride brimming up in the various statements that he made. But he said, no, man, I went and talked to people. I went and talked to, you know, Jewish leaders and everybody else and everybody, you know, you know how I feel about that word community when people start throwing that around. I ain't here here for that. But he did all the discussion. He did all that. And he said, look, man, um, I should have dealt with this before. I could have come out here and I could have handled this a lot earlier. And that's basically why I and everybody else wound up in the situation that we were in, and that's all me. And I, given what we've seen from him over the last few years, and specifically over the course of the last few weeks, I did not think that he had that in him. And I do think that people like me who were very, very critical of him as he handled all of this have to acknowledge that because so often people dig themselves into these holes because they just don't want to admit that they were wrong right and he came out and he did that and let me tell you it was very important that he did it in that way because the black israelites rolled up on the barclays center okay i don't know if you've seen the videos online you can go check them out but they was out there they were deep it looked to be at least a hundred of them and they were doing Kyrie zero favors, at least if Kyrie was trying to keep his job. They were handing out paperwork, you know, the, 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 the flyers, and the big thing the flyers said was, are we anti-Semitic? We are Semitic, which gets us into that tricky place that this thing had been in before, the whole who's the real Jews and yeah, I think Kyrie would like to completely move off from that discussion. And I know that because they were asking him questions about them being out there and they're coming and speaking in your name. What do you have to say about that? And Kyrie said, I think that's a discussion for another day and we should talk about basketball, right? He didn't jump into the fight. He didn't get out there talking about it. Um, I, I understand why he does not necessarily want to talk down on those people who were outside supporting him. But that is also something he really cannot do right now, you know? But the fact that he was accountable in the video that he posted the day before the game and then in the things that he said in the presser after the game, that is what allowed him to get away with swatting those questions off 
about the black Israelites, right? Like if people didn't feel like he was operating from a position of accountability prior to that, he couldn't have gotten away with it, right? Because honestly, I probably, if I had been the person that had the question in the first place, I'd have probably kept pressing him about that. You know, like these are the dudes that are echoing the things from this film that you shared. They believe that they are supporting you. You just gave this apology for not realizing how hurtful you were. It would be fair to ask him to maybe tell the homies, hey, dog, I've learned that I was being hurtful and you are too, right? Like I'm being goofy in the way that I say it, but I think that would have been an absolutely fair question, right? Especially as he talks about the power of his voice and realizing the power of his voice, which trust me, he was very much so into the power of his voice or his own concept of the power of his voice before. What he wasn't into was the consequences that come from having a powerful voice. And I think based on what I've read and seen, that's the part that's landed with him at this point is if you're going to be that guy, you got to deal with the other side. And I think he has come to see that begrudgingly because uh, they asked him about, you know, something and he said that he wished that there was a place where he could state his views without being treated harshly. Yeah, me too, dog. Me too, you too, and every single mother on earth. All of us would like that. We like to have a safe space. And you know what that safe space is? With your homies. Or perhaps with the black Israelites. I think that you can say your views around them and you won't really come up with much of a problem. But if you go say your views in front of everybody, then you are going to be beholden to the reactions of everybody. And you get to do the math on whether or not it's worth it for you to state what your views happen to be, right? But I'm a little stunned that two things stunned me that he didn't realize. One, one, it sounds like it wasn't up until this movie that he was up on Yahweh, right? He said he looked up his name, Kyrie, and he saw the translation and that it meant Yahweh. And then he went from there. And with this journey that Kyrie is on, like I didn't think they allowed you to wear the Ankh earrings until you had learned about Yahweh. Like, like Yahweh is, is, is 101 stuff for where it is that he's going. He got all the way to the movies and nobody has said nothing to him about Yahweh first. That very, very surprising for those of us who know people that have been on the journey that Kyrie has been on. Shout out to everybody that went to an HBCU, specifically one in Atlanta. You know these people. And I just was stunned that nobody had put him up on Yahweh game prior to that. Okay, that one's surprising. And two, also surprising, that you're 30-something years old and you didn't realize you can't just say whatever you want? You just figured that out? But hey, I think he has arrived at a place, at least as it relates to this matter, that managed to demonstrate everything that the team was looking for, and I think it demonstrated a lot of what the public was looking for, right? And now people can stop calling me, asking me to come on television talking about this. Because I'm going to tell you something. I got a call to do a show this morning and I turned it down. I was just like, I don't feel comfortable with the positions that I feel like these media outlets are going to try to put me in and talking about this. So I passed on it. And so I looked up 
And the thing happened that always worries me in times like these. Like, as the black person, when somewhat black people things come up, because I don't think this Kyrie thing is really a black people thing, but, you know, um, you always got to wonder, what black person are they going to call after me? And I looked on the tweets, and I saw who the black person was that they called after me. And while I like him personally, oh, boy, that had great potential to go to bad places. And it did. And it did. But this had gotten to be too tricky. So I say, hey, Kyrie, I guess good for him in some measure, however you want to put it, that he got to the place he is. He has managed to hold on to his job. Now let's see what happens. Because it ain't over. Hey, remember when uh, Draymond Green punched Jordan Poole in the face? And we're like, ah, man, but it's over now. They'll just go on to be the Warriors. You see their record? And I'm not saying their record is the fault of Draymond Green and Jordan Poole, but do you think that thing is really over? And that's part of the thing we're going to see with Kyrie. Now you got to get back on the team and everything that comes with that. And when I said that they should let go of Kyrie, my thing was you got beef with management, and I'm not sure how it's going to go over with the team, and I'm not sure that you affect winning. I don't think it's worth it. They apparently do. All right. Now let's see how the rest of it goes. So I give him credit for what he owned because I know that that was not easy for him. I just hope he knows that this ain't over yet. And he's going to have to hold out for a while on good behavior. Otherwise, all that money that he want to get, he ain't going to get. And by the way, I want to throw this out here also before I forget. Because look, I've been doing this job for a while. People are going to have stuff to say about you. That's the game, right? People aren't going to like what you say sometimes, and then they're going to have things to say. It's not the sort of thing that you can get so charged up about and can't get and can't get so upset about. However, one of the major points that I had been making on this was, if Kyrie wants his money, this is what he's ultimately going to have to do, right? I stayed out of a lot of right and wrong in this, a lot of it, right? Not entirely, but a lot of it, because I thought that a significant portion of this was just functional in the ways that this game works and what he was going to have to do to get things done if he wanted to play these million-dollar games. And we had all these people that popped up and had all the things in the world to say defending Kyrie and defending his right to say whatever it was, and that's cool if that's what you did. But after that man stood on his own too and apologized and said that he had hurt people and that he should not have done that and should he thought that he should have thought more of it. Where are you guys on that? And I'm not asking that snidely. I'm asking that sincerely. Like, if you really did that, do you think Kyrie is selling out by apologizing? And if you don't think he's selling out by apologizing, why not? Like, you thought I was a sellout for saying exactly what I thought, right? Given my own opinions. At that point, I was a puppet and all of these other things. Do you think that Kyrie is a puppet now that he has apologized? Or do you look at it and just recognize, hey, man, this is the game he chose to play. And if he's going to play that game, these are the rules, so you just might want to consider, just maybe, just maybe, you went so hard for him, he ain't even going that hard for him no more. So what you got to say now to him and some of the other people that you had things to say about? Like, I'm asking you really just to think about it, right? If you are a person that follows that train of thought, what do you think about Kyrie now? And if you cut Kyrie slack because it's what he had to say, then what were you saying about anybody else? This is why my old boss, Eric Rideholm, used to make the point, Characterize behaviors, not people. But even when you characterize the behaviors, 
you might want to stop and think and realize, man, it's a lot out there that a lot of people have to weigh when they make decisions. And Kyrie Irving tried to make it simple, and he found out it was a different kind of simple. This happens to him. This happens to other people. Again, people like me, I told you what I actually thought, right? I told you a lot more about what I thought than Kyrie told you about what he thought, right? Not on the particular issue itself, but just generally. I gave you a bit more about what it was I actually thought. I actually mean what I say, and I think that most of the people that folks were coming down on legitimately meant what they said. And if you think, though, that those people said what they had to say because the power structure required it, that's what you think. Do you think that's what happened with Kyrie? Just asking. We know you can't be on top of all the news and information of the day. No need for the social media feeds. We got you. Now, if you haven't heard. All right, Bo, first story comes from the world of business. Hi, my name is Emma Cosgrove. I'm a transportation reporter at Insider covering logistics, and I have an Amazon story for you. What a lot of Amazon customers probably don't realize is that the majority of their packages are delivered by a small local business. The person putting a box on your doorstep doesn't work for Amazon. They work for contractors called Delivery Service Partners, or DSPs. Delivery businesses across the board have had a really tough year since the cost of fuel, trucks, and labor are historically high. So in September, when Amazon told their contractors that they were going to fund a wage hike for drivers, they were very excited. DSPs told me the wage hikes were needed since it's getting harder to compete for good drivers. When they saw the final math for what the wage hike would mean for them, some realized that while the drivers were getting a raise, they were getting a pay cut. One DSP told me they expect to lose 30% of their profits next year because the payout from Amazon would cover the wages, but little of the extra expense that comes with them. So overtime, payroll taxes, paid time off, workers' comp, all of these go up with a worker's hourly wage. Now, if we haven't already gotten wonky enough, it's about to get worse. Amazon plans to couple the wage increase with a new evaluation system. The better DSPs perform in areas like safety and on-time delivery, the more they get paid. So costs were going up and making enough money to cover the costs was getting harder at the same time. After much uproar from DSPs, Amazon agreed to push back some of the changes until January and give a one-time payout to cover paid time off that was already on the books. But the bottom line is DSPs thought their lives were going to get a little easier in a really tough time, and it turns out they're getting a lot harder. One DSP told me to expect an exodus in January after the holiday season, as these business owners essentially throw in the towel. And that may not be a huge deal to Amazon right now because retail orders are slowing, but for DSPs, quitting now at the height of inflation could be a tough pill to swallow since costs have probably taken a large bite out of any profit they could take with them. It's not a happy story, but I'll leave you with this. It's a tough time out there for logistics businesses. And if you run into an Amazon delivery person or any delivery person on your doorstep, it's a really good time to say thank you. Hey, man, something I always want to point out, and this is something I just don't think that people talk about enough. The biggest problem with a corporate setup is the number one incentive is growth, right? If you have taken a finance class, you know this. If you have not taken a finance class, this is the first thing that they tell you in finance. The number one goal of the corporation is to maximize shareholder wealth, okay? It's the only thing all those shareholders have in common. It's the reason those shareholders are in the room. The only thing they're worried about is maximizing shareholder wealth. So the drivers pop up and are like, hey, man, we're not getting paid enough. We should be paid more. 
the mom and pop can do that and just say to themselves, yeah, we'll take the hit. You know, we need to treat our people better, whatever it is. You know, sometimes some years are better than others, right? Like that's what the mom and pop can say because one person is allowed to individually make the decision. It's the reason why people like working for independent record labels versus corporate ones because the person that owns an indie is like, hey, I just love music, right? Yeah, I'm making enough money. I got what I need. Okay, you know, we can, we can do this. Like you got flexibility in that regard. But the corporation, the whole reason they're there is to make money. Like, that's it. A corporation is not a person no matter what they try to tell you. And so for a place like Amazon, yeah, they could easily start paying these people more money, right? They could easily change that up, and their margins would clearly be high. they still make a jillion dollars, but then they'd have to answer to these shareholders. And don't none of them give a damn about no drivers. They just don't, right? And that's the, the paradox of all of this is that Growth is what everybody is gunning for. And sometimes that means people get run over in the process. All right, we go from Amazon to Tesla. I'm Alice Hearing, and I'm the European social media editor for Fortune magazine. Construction workers who helped to build Tesla's Gigafactory in Austin, Texas, are suing the company for labor violations during the process. Whistleblowers say they experienced wage theft, accidents on site and hazards. It was initially meant to be the perfect job for these workers, and Elon Musk even tweeted early on that the project would bring around 10,000 jobs to the area. When it opened, Musk even threw a huge party wearing a cowboy hat and sunglasses, and he called it the Cyber Rodeo. But instead, workers were allegedly made to work on unlit metal roofs at night, um, in flooded rooms with live wiring in the water, and on top of turbines with toxic smoke and no protection. Um, One worker is reported to have remembered telling his wife that he thought he would die in the factory. Those who reported wage theft said that in some cases they weren't paid at all and weren't paid overtime compensation. That included a time over Thanksgiving when they were supposed to get paid double their usual salary. It's not actually the first time Tesla has been accused of poor working conditions, having had repeated reports from their Shanghai Gigafactory and enormous fines for other labor violations in the U.S., Yo, man, who who are you people that root for this dude? Like, I think of every Elon Musk story that has come about, and I'm just like, why exactly is it that anybody roots for this guy? I'm just lost. Just, 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 just totally lost. Like, the whole Twitter situation, we can't even really do if you haven't heard stories like that about Twitter And the reason that we really can't is it burns a little bit more every day. And so by the time we send it out, who knows by the time we get back around, whether that thing is actually going to be relevant. Um, But he showed up at Twitter and basically everybody has quit. Like the only people it seems like who haven't quit are the people who have to work there to stay in this country. Like, literally, you go look it up, and a significant portion of the people that have stayed on at Twitter are people whose visas are tied to their employment with Twitter, and thereby, they're not going to go. Like, this man came in there and thought that he was going to flex on everybody, and they would respond to it, and it was just deuces left and right. Left and right. The website itself has become its own little issue. The remnants of that $8 a month, my goodness, man. I want to just say this right now, okay? And this is important to note. I would read and hear people make the argument that the existence of a blue check on Twitter 
created a have and have not sort of situation and that people you know people who did not have the blue checks felt very threatened by the idea that other people did and i don't think that most people who don't have blue checks feel that way i just, I just don't and i never took the blue check to mean anything other than i need this for my job like i, I got the blue check and didn't ask for it as I told people, I think some black person must have got a promotion because on the same day, me, Too Ray, and Roland Martin all got blue checks that we did not ask for, right? Like, it, it, just, it just felt like a black person was like, hey, man, we got to put some people on. But for me, it was only good because there were, at that time, so many fake accounts under my name that it was helpful to distinguish that I was who I was. That's the way that I always looked at it. Yo, do you realize how many jerks have jumped in my mentions the last few days with 50 followers and a blue check? And I'm just asking, why? Like, wh- 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 do you think? No, nobody's impressed by this. I don't think anybody's giving you any props. And it blew my mind to really find out that people cared that much about those checks. Because let me tell you something that happened to me one day. I don't know if Twitter still has this, but it used to be that I could go like look through who my followers were and sort them out by who was verified. They verified anybody, man. All you ever had to do was put out a mixtape, right? You ain't even have to, like, like two songs and you could get you a blue check. Trust me, the bar for blue checkness was not very high. And now I just got a bunch of jerks who done showed up with blue checks. And I just want to know who it is that looks at your tweets and is like, oh, yeah, I'm sure that's an important person with that picture of whoever um, up there. Get out of here. I wish we had some good news, but story number three from the global economy. I'm Jim Tankersley of the New York Times, and I wrote about the big economic challenges facing world leaders when they met for the G20 summit in Bali, Indonesia last week. The global economy is in rough waters right now. It could be sliding into recession, led by large wealthy countries like England and Japan, and slowing growth in China. Consumer prices are continuing to rise much faster than they usually do, particularly for necessities like food and energy. The World Bank estimates that 200 million people worldwide will struggle with food insecurity this year. That's partly due to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which has cut supplies of grain globally and sent oil prices skyrocketing earlier this year. On top of all that, there's a growing threat of financial crisis in poorer countries, which are struggling to pay their debts as central banks around the world raise interest rates to fight inflation. The United States and other countries at the G20 were working toward a coordinated effort to address all those challenges. But they were opposed at many turns by Russia and at other times by China, which is the largest creditor for a lot of poor countries that are struggling to pay their debts and which has resisted international efforts to help those poorer countries avoid financial crisis. The G20 summit did not solve all those problems, but it appears to have made some progress. The United States and other wealthy nations are close to finalizing a plan that is meant to avert another Russia-related oil price spike by the end of this year. There were new efforts to boost global food supplies, and President Biden pushed China's leader, Xi Jinping, to relieve debt for poorer countries. Those aren't full solutions, but they might be a start. Damn, that war still going on over there in Ukraine, huh? Remember we was talking about that all the time? Like, we need to have a list of the continuing calamities that we just kind of forget. You know, the top of it being COVID-19. Like, like that, 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 that's number one. Number two, that war in Russia, or war in Ukraine that Russia had started. Like, at first, we was all into it. And like, yo, that was crazy. Uh, Dave Chappelle says something about it this Saturday Night Live routine. And it was like, damn, that's right. They are still fighting over there. Ain't that something? And it is messing up so, so, so much. 
I do also want to make this point right fast. They were talking about these countries and the Russians and Chinese, who a lot of them owe a lot of money to. I remember reading something, I guess it was about a couple of years ago, about a lot of these uh, sub-Saharan African countries that had long been in debt to like France and the U.S., um, Great Britain. And the Chinese had begun to you know, loan a lot of the money and people were just kind of like, yes, they are free from the stranglehold of imperialism, you know, like the, the, the Western people that had been, you know, yeah, you get where I'm, Tom, what do you, 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 what do you think the Chinese out here doing, giving grants, right? You think they just, you think they just out here doing it for the sake of doing it? No, you just got a new landlord, baby. That's all it is. By the way, uh, speaking of things that have been forgotten, I just have to get this in here while I can. I'll talk about people forgetting the Ukraine war. I almost forgot a very important part of the Kyrie Irving story that isn't even that important necessarily, but I know you guys expect me to say things about these matters. Bro, Jalen Brown retweeted the Black Israelites in formation outside of the Barclays Center and said energy. And so many people sent that to me and we we're like, oh, 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 buddy, buddy, no, no, no. And he got a rep around the league from people where he think he's smarter than everybody else, like very similar to Kyrie um, in that respect, except People around the league don't lead with Kyrie on some he think he's smarter than everybody else. They do lead with that when they talk about Jalen Brown. Now, maybe it's because there's just more stuff to talk about with Kyrie. But anyway, Jalen Brown saw them dudes outside. Actually, before we get to that part, I'm going to walk you into it slowly. I know this is a diversion, but I just couldn't forget to tell you guys this. So I made a funny on the tweets when I saw the black Israelites outside and they were wearing purple T-shirts with gold letters. And I wanted to clarify for our Caucasian brothers and sisters that these are not the people that you saw in college wearing purple and gold and wearing gold boots and who were barking all the time. That was a mega sci-fi fraternity incorporated, but I would understand perhaps how it was that they messed it up. So some dude who got a picture of Jimmy Baldwin as his uh, avatar on Twitter came and was mad. I guess he a Q. The Qs don't just uh, jump around and bark. Uh, they get presidents elected, da-da-da, all this stuff. I'm like, bruh, what, what, why are you mad? Why are we even doing this? And then he, I mean, he just kept going on and on about somehow I did a disrespect to the Qs. And if somebody else, I said something about, I guess some people might be Qs and black Israelites. I don't see why those two things would necessarily be mutually exclusive. And I can see how somebody might be into both, right? Somebody hit me up. What, did they not let you online? Do you see how skinny I am? Of course they wouldn't let me online. Do you think that at any point in my collegiate 145-pound existence that I was like, yeah, I want to go be an Omega? I would have died. What are you talking about? I had no interest in being no damn cute. I said it before and I'll say it again. I know fraternity members. I know gang members. I like the gang members more. If, I, if, you, if you ask me to join one, I'm probably going to try to bang. That's just me. Don't really rock with that world. Anyway, back to Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown says energy about the people in purple and gold. And this guy got mad at me for telling people those aren't the Omegas. And then Jalen Brown had to pop up later. My bad. I thought it was the Q's. He thought the Q's had rolled up 100 deep. In the name of Kyrie Irving, who is not a Q. He thought that they rolled up a hundred deep information in the name of Kyrie Irving. You know damn well that if that was the Q's, it would have been some chicken and brew out there 
you know they would have sounded a lot different. They were out there singing songs in unison. Man, please. It would have been cats with tongues hanging out of their mouths and everything else. I guess this is what happened when you don't go to college. I mean, I'm not even blaming you for that. This is a fairly collegiate situation. But anyway, yes, Jalen Brown thought those were the cues. And I'm just saying, if I were you, young man, I would uh, take a cue from what the rest of your league has done on this matter and others in the last couple of weeks. And you should pay homage uh, to the, the duo that seems to be everybody's favorite duo in the NBA right now. A couple of dudes named Shut Up and Dribble. Hey, this is Bomani. You have reached the right time voicemail. Say whatever you want. Get creative with it. But this is your place to talk back to the show. So talk back. Peace. All right, Bo. This is normally the time where we listen to listener voicemails. We got a great topic that you can tee up again for us. We'll get to a lot of those next week, but we got something more important to do. Yeah, man. So as you guys have noticed, you've probably been listening to the show that you have heard Gabe's name a little bit less on it. And that is for a very good reason. Um, Gabe, you know, you guys been with us. Gabe got his NBA not too long ago. We did a celebration for that. And now, because he did not get an NBA to be the producer of my podcast, he is moving on to bigger and better things, which is in the company more of a management role, which honestly is a lot of the kind of work that he has already been doing. And so, obviously, this is not like a winner for me. Um, doing this podcast with you Gabe has been interesting for me because you had one of the trickier jobs which is how do you replace like one of the most important people to my career and legitimately one of my best friends in doing this job right like I did the radio show moved it over to podcast and a radio producer and a podcast producer are not the same and I talked to PG and Cini and I was like all right so what's going on with this producer situation right I can be a little bit of a stickler about these things and he told me I think I've got the guy. And I was like, all right, right? And I don't know Pete. So I'm like, yeah, I bet you think you got the guy. So I'm in New York, Pete is there, and then Gabe walks in. This dude walks in. He got this stroll to him. He got this deep voice, and he sticks his hand down like, hey, how you doing? Like the confidence was very clearly there. This was a man that thought he had the job under control and had it taken care of. And I'm like, all right, seems all right to me. This is the dude. And so then we start doing the show, and it's weird because at that time we're doing the show and we can't see each other. I'm in the huddle room at the seaport, and I got a microphone, and I got Gabe in my ear. But, like, we can't. It's hard for us to do any back and forth and to gauge each other's moods. And so I'm doing these reads, and I hate doing reads, and I'm doing these reads, and I get to the end of these reads, and then I hear, I think we need to do that one over again. And I'm one of these people that's like, yeah, you want somebody to, you know, to push you. You want somebody to make sure everything is as good as it is. But then the person actually does it. And you're like, dude, it's just a read. I don't want to do these reads no more. And I think, Gabe, you probably remember I said earlier, I was like, don't worry, I'm going to do it. I just might not like it. You know, and, and we went through this and we did everything we could on it. And for me, the pandemic comes around. And everything changed for us in terms of this podcast success and everything. But a big part that changed with the podcast was that we were looking at each other now because now we brought it to the house. Now we're doing everything through laptop and now we're doing everything through Zoom. And I really think about the last, you know, almost three years where like 
we become like consistent parts of each other's lives in a way because we see each other all the time now and like the conversations that we have after the show before the show and the things that we talked about in terms of trying to build the show and everything builds what is very interesting which is a relationship that is largely professional but then feels very personal in part because i think we both have a very important personal connection to this show and what we've done with this and i in the very beginning on it i don't want to produce my own show right like there's some people that come in and they want to control everything and i used to be that guy i don't want to do that i want to turn it over to the per- to the producer of the podcast and make it yours and in these years i watched that and i watched you come up with ideas i was like yeah trivia contest i don't know if people want to hear that people love the trivia contest uh a book club i mean i don't know are we getting a little bit too nerdy do you really think people are going to do that we do that and people love the book club like pretty much any good idea that you've heard on this show in the last four years is gabe we were doing if you hadn't heard if you haven't heard one way before that's something shannon came up with and then gabe formatted it for what we were doing right now and i have been so much better and this show has been so much better because of you and the work that you have done by the way i want to note too work that my man does from nine to five it gave is that this is for all of you who have millennial slash gen z people um under your employ they draw boundaries you're not getting them on the phone on the weekends and the good ones you never notice because everything always gets done everything is always ready if something is lagging a slack on this show it ain't never been this dude's fault it's been my fault the entire way because there's just such a level of responsibility and care and concern and all you can ever ask for as someone who hosts a show like this is something that is actually fairly unrealistic and that is somebody to care about the show with your name on it like their name is on you know somebody to personally value what you're doing like it is their own and to appreciate and understand the responsibility that comes from it on my end and a recognition that in supporting it you'll probably never get as much credit from the world for what you do to make the show what it is and I have only been able to hope on my end that if the world doesn't necessarily know the importance that you know forever that I know the importance and that i recognize that when i say we in talking about this it's not being polite this is a we sort of thing i just happen to be the person on the marquee but it is a we and we have honestly exceeded every expectation that i had for what this show could be for what our bosses had for what this show could be and for that reason we put together a little something for you. We had uh, some of our favorite people, had a few things to say for you on the way out the door. Dan, we go ahead and run that. Bomani Jones, I found out Gabe was leaving the party. But we got to do something, Bo. We got to do something very important. Play that shit, y'all. Hey, Gabe, man, it's Vinny. Congratulations on the promotion. Gabriel Bassain, my man. Hey, Gabe, what's going on, man? This is Shannon. Hi, Gabe. This is Spencer Hall. 
Hey, Gabe, it's Nick Wright. DJ Mike Hitman said, congratulations to you, Gabe. Gabe, this is Joel from Missouri City. Congratulations on leaving us all behind in this podcast industry. Congratulations on all of the new opportunities that you have so justifiably been granted at your job. You had a tough, tough job following me as the producer of The Right Time, but you did your thing. You put your own imprint on The Right Time. You made it your own and you elevated the quality of the podcast. Man, I'm really going to miss getting those texts from you on a Monday afternoon asking me to come on the show and like me asking you, so what does Bamani want to talk about? And both of us knowing that it really doesn't matter. Whenever I got that text from you, it felt like it was being invited to a family dinner with you and Bo and a lot of what Bo executed, a lot of that came from you. Thank you for being the best podcast producer that I've ever come across. Although you're probably the coolest producer that I've ever worked with, you're also quite a stickler and a bit of an asshole, which I appreciate. You'll notice this audio quality is superb and crisp. I apologize for that. I will send a new one as soon as I can get back to my usual crappy mics that make your ears itch. You've been such a great steward of the right time. So Bomani, obviously the headliner, the star, the main attraction, but no one builds a show in a community like this alone. And I know from personal experience that producers like you don't get the props they deserve for creating the conditions for a host to thrive and creating like a fun, lively community around the show. So you don't need me to tell you that you're like foundational to the success of this, but I'm saying it anyway. I want you to know that I appreciate you. You taught me a lot about this business and you've made it really tough on any other producers that I have to work with because I expect them to be as great as you. Also, you're just a good friend and someone whose name I enjoy seeing in my phone. So while folks may not hear your voice on here for a while, I really expect to keep on hearing from you, even though you still haven't admitted to cheating me on trivia that one time. We ain't gonna talk about it, you know, cause you know, might as well just overlook it until the next time I talk to you. Good luck with everything you got going on. And uh, because you hold a very valuable piece of uh, evidence that can incriminate a lot of us, I feel like I need to say it one last time. Play the music, man. Thank you for your patience. A representative from the right time will be with you shortly. Your current hold time is 15 seconds. Congratulations on your new thing, man. I wish you the best of luck. Happy Thanksgiving. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Whatever you're doing, be good what you do. God bless you and I support you and I always love you. Good luck with the next chapter, man. And thank you for your help. Great job, man. Gabe, good luck, bro. Thanks for everything you've done and don't stay a stranger, bro. I wanted to wish you nothing but luck in your future endeavors. I don't know if I want to say bigger and better things, but different and awesome things. Good luck, pal. I just want to say thank you for being you. Thank you for keeping me as part of the the podcast in the Right Time family. I wish you nothing but success in the future. Yeah! Everybody, shout the one out to Gabe. Congratulations, man. Congratulations. Give me the beat.
There it is, man. Congratulations. God, man. I, that was really touching. Um, the funniest part about it in there to me at the end was with DJ Mike Hitman having the music play in the background, because I know that we're going to have to take that part out of the podcast <laughs> for copyright infringement purposes. Um, but, man, you know, hearing from everybody really... It really illustrates what we were able to do with this show and how wide-ranging things were. Um, like, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough, really, to be invited, you know, to be a part of this thing and fortunate enough to inherit, you know, what you and Shannon had already created. They were, I, they were really big shoes for me to fill, you know. You guys already had something special, um, and I can't thank you or you know folks on the show the fans of the show enough for well you know for welcoming me um because there was a steep learning curve you know initially to be able to um vibe with you guys in a way that seemed genuine you know but really what it was about was it was about like not posturing and trying to be someone else but just being who i was and that's how you know you guys uh became you know came to accept me I learned a lot, you know. I, I learned a lot from the show, from doing the show, from you, from the fans of the show, the people who came on the show. Um, some of the best years of my career have been spent doing this show, you know, you and me together. Um, and it worked, like you said, because you were willing to try stuff. You, like, unlike many other hosts, you, when I pitched you an idea, you're like, I don't know if it's going to work, but I trust you. And that's, that meant the world to me, you know, because it meant that I was doing something that you believed in. And you felt, like you said, you know, this was our thing. I got invited to be a part of it, but I felt like the right time with Bomani Jones, as much as it was you on the marquee, it was my show too. And I had ownership of it and trying to make it the best it possibly could be. So, um, you know, it, it just means the world to me, man, it, hearing all that stuff. I, I was just trying to think over the weekend, too, like some of the shows that absolutely I felt like defined the era in terms of what we were able to do with it. When Kobe died, you know, and we had that show that was just voicemails, yeah. just listener voicemails, and people were tearing up and, you know, pouring their heart out, that like what you were able to do there with the way that you touch your fans that that just defines that that pillar of the show right then when we did the trivia tournament i know joel's giving me a hard time about <laughs> about it being rigged but like you know that was an idea you know that i that i had that i stole from another show uh that w will not be named here but like you were open and willing to try it the guests on the show you know the community of the show was willing to try it and you made it sing dominique did a great job of hosting it you know it was we had a blast super fun but that just shows the connection that you have with your friends and what you guys were able to pull off with not that much prep right then when uh we found out about your tv show and we got your parents on the show you know that was you pouring your heart out on the show it was a safe space for you to be who you were um and 
that you know that's something that people were going to get with the show those three things fans pouring their heart out you pouring your heart out you being you having a, a party with your guests you know that and to say that those are the things that we were able to accomplish together it just um it feels really special to me and i it took me a while to get the show you know like um with Levitar, they always say like you don't get the show you know it took me a while it took a while for me to get the show but once i got the show i'm i'm just fortunate enough to say um that i've been a part of it you know no and i'm eternally grateful for the time that we had together on this show and um glad that after everything that we've been through all the highs and lows man i can still call you my friend oh dude thank you for doing that dude the door is always open here with me and with this in any sort of way that comes up and it seems weird but we'll always have 2020 right like 2020 is kind of going to go down understandably for this world is a bit of a miserable year that kind of didn't do the best but for us i kind of feel like like for you simpsons fans season one where bart goes to france and he's over there and he doesn't speak french right and then all of a sudden everything's falling apart they got him in there stepping on the grapes and he gets frustrated because i think he choked on a grape and then out of nowhere boom he's speaking french and we had been working and we had been building that at that point for about two years, like right about two years on the dot, we had been going with it. And these things take longer than people realize. Like it takes an hour, a year and a half, two years really on a project like this to really hit the stride. And then when the world shut down, we were speaking French, you know, like we went and we like really honed in. And one thing Gabe did a lot of is like all that market research and those sending polls out and stuff like that. That was Gabe coming up with the idea to do that and saying like, hey, let's find out what the listeners want. And then we do that and then we give them more, right? Like he's going to be doing more of those kinds of things in his next job because that's such a brilliant move that we had that I'm fortunate that not a lot of other people would have had. But we got to 2020 and there weren't sports, but our audience still wanted us, right? They were just like, yo, they came to us not just for the sports, but they came to us for the world and when George Floyd happened again they came to us and the numbers went up and I think a lot of people cynically looked at that and were like okay well that was a surge caused by the world's heartache and African-American trauma and then we kept going and we kept going and we're still in those good places now and so you know we got kind of like two segments of the audience right like we got more of the OG day one types who've been here you know through that and then the people who showed up a little bit later, and we love you all the same, don't get me wrong, but I think particularly for the people that have been here for the four years that we have done this, I think this really has been a special time. And for me, everyone who has ever produced an audio thing for me has become somebody that's very important in my life. Shannon, obviously an example, my buddy Mike Stangle, my guy Corey Erdman, that matters to me in this role of a producer is something that companies don't value nearly enough and don't pay nearly well enough. But man, a good producer is so, so, so important. And if you're doing your radio show right, your producer will be your friend and your producer will know you as well as anybody else does. And you will be a person who can be there for that producer and that producer can be there for you and i am glad that we have been able uh to keep this up in the ways that we have and obviously i know you are going to kill it in the next job 
that you're doing or the job that you're actually doing right now. You know, I know you're going to be excellent at doing that. And you absolutely deserve to be in something that you can fully be in charge of. Your calling is right there. It is there. And I'm like, I really couldn't be happier for you, man. So congratulations to you. And I'm actually going to tell people this one little thing. I think I told you this early. But when I knew there was something a little bit different about you is when you told me that your wife was a Ph.D. And this is something that I, I, I really want people to hear and understand about this, because I don't think folks know this. As you know, my mother is a Ph.D. A lot of men can't handle the idea of a woman with not just that level of intelligence, but a certified level of intelligence. I knew a woman growing up who was a Fulbright scholar, but never got a Ph.D. because her husband wasn't going to have no, no woman in his house to have more education than he did. And I remember you telling me that and then I would notice the things that you would send me and then I was around you and your wife and see the conversation that you would have with each other and everything. And I was like, oh, not only is this a really smart dude, but this is a really smart dude with the humility about it to be able to listen to other people and to appreciate what they have while also standing firm when he thought something and went with it. And there ain't that many people who are truly like that and who are truly in those positions, man. Like you are a, you are a unique dude. It's not just about being a really good producer as in you're a good person. And I always hope that the vibe of this show was that it's good people who are doing it. And you absolutely, I don't know how good a dude I am, but I know that the goodness of you and the work that, you know, the, those things that I describe and that work that you did really comes through in the product that we have been able to offer up and we're gonna do our best to keep that sound clean baby because otherwise i have a feeling we will still hear about it like hey guys uh was there something wrong with the connection uh that you had on the microphone it just you know there's this little rattling that i was able to hear we're gonna work on it gay we're gonna work on it thanks bro hey, i really appreciate it dude congratulations man and ladies and gentlemen Thanks so much for joining us here on The Right Time. We do this three times a week. Dan Stancic and Parker Owens behind the scenes. And one last time, Gabe Bassane. Thank you, gentlemen. We will be off for the rest of the week for Thanksgiving, but we are still taking your voicemails. 860-516-4119. Tell us about uh, the time that you, first time that you did Thanksgiving with, shall we say, another culture. 860-516-4119. That is our number. Also, thank you to our If You Haven't Heard contributors. Thanks to Emma Cosgrove of Business Insider. Check out her story on Amazon giving contractor drivers a pay raise, but it wasn't all good. Thanks to Alice Hearing of Fortune. Check out her story on Tesla's Gigafactory being sued over wage theft. And thanks to Jim Tankersley of the New York Times. Check out his story about the threats facing the global economy. Remember, follow the right time. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. We'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy. Thanks for checking out The Right Time with Bomani Jones Podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Right Time with Bomani Jones.